Father God, tonight we come to you, and uh, Lord, some of us are just still on a high from the excitement of the day. Others are just waking up to the reality that the day is almost over. And God, some of us, we are burnt out. We're tired. And pray now, Lord, for every one of us, you would encourage us, you would speak to us, and Lord, that you would prompt us into the next step of our faith with you. God, that we would be servants of the living God, that we'd put ourselves last, we pray in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. Amen. All right. Uh, One thing we've got to clarify, as we talked about and we'll continue to talk about today, the gifts of the Spirit, sometimes we have this idea that we want to exalt some gifts are more exciting or maybe better, and other gifts are less exciting, and you're lower on the totem pole, and no one really cares about you because you're just the gift of helps. All you do is sweep the porch and, and straighten the chairs. Without people setting up chairs and sweeping the porch, you've got a dirty room that cannot be used. They are not less than. Uh, in fact, I think some of the considered less than gifts are probably more important. And the important thing to realize is if your whole body, Paul says this, if everyone was just an eyeball, you wouldn't go anywhere, say anything, eat anything. Uh, you'd be absolutely useless without the rest of your body, right? Imagine being no arms, no legs, you just your torso and your mouth, and you're like, oh gosh, I'm hungry. But there's a cheeseburger in front of you, but you can't walk over to it, you can't pick it up and eat it, you can't do anything but stare at it and slowly die of starvation. And we talk about the body of Christ, it's exactly that same thing. We're like, oh, I, oh, everyone wants to be an eyeball, or everyone wants to be a hand, or everyone wants to be the heart, or everyone wants to be the feet. You're out of your mind. God says, no, 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 I am going to decide. Jesus, as he rose again from the dead and ascended back up into heaven, says he gave gifts to men as he wills, that he's going to put a calling on your life, and as he does, he's going to equip you to do it. Does that make sense? Yeah? All right, we got a lot to go through tonight, and this is where oftentimes a lot of questions come up, all right? So if you have questions, we're going to try and get through 11 of the different gifts tonight. Um, if you have questions, though, stop me and ask. You promise to do that? If something doesn't make sense or you're unclear, you're like, what? What? Okay, let's, uh, let's take a look. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 28, 29, and 30. It says, and God has appointed these in the church First, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, after that, miracles, then the gifts of healings, helps, administrations, a ver- or varieties of tongues. And then you ask the question, though, are all apostles? What do you think the answer is? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? What's the answer? No. Do all have the gift of healing? What's the answer? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. It's No. God has given these different things, and you can look in Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 for the other gifts that maybe we've talked about or we'll look at tonight, but in all of these gifts, not everyone has all of them. Not, no, no one person Sorry, there's no one gift that everybody has. It's not that we're all called to be teachers, right? Imagine everyone's like, I'm a Bible teacher. If everyone's a Bible teacher, then there are going to be zero Bible learners. Does that make sense? God's going to raise some people up to teach, other people raised up to do evangelism, other people raised up to do what we're going to talk about tonight. You guys ready to go? The first thing we're talking about is typically settles into the area called sign gifts, all right? Boom, sign gifts. Uh, We talked about serving gifts last week. Tonight is sign gifts and speaking gifts. The sign gifts, there's really only two. Sometimes people put 
uh, the gift of tongues into this category, but I don't really believe that you need to or that you should. Uh, sign gifts. Now, what does it mean, a sign gift? A sign is simply to point someone into a certain direction, right? Like the sign is obviously pointing somewhere. Maybe it's an open donut shop late at night, like Krispy Kreme, or maybe it's in and out or maybe it's whatever you enjoy doing. There's signs on the freeway. Why? To point you in a certain direction. Well, the sign gifts, the primary reason for them and almost exclusive reason for them is to point people to salvation. Very important. Write it down. Sign gifts are given to point people to salvation. The first one of the sign gifts, I think, is the gift of miracles we'll talk about. You can throw it up there. The gift of miracles, uh, what is it? Why does it work? I can only give you as much as I know and what I have learned. And I can tell you right now, I have not mastered what in the world the gift of miracles is. But don't make things difficult. The gift of miracles is a God-given ability or strength, power, and ability to do miraculous things. In parentheses, as when prompted by the Holy Spirit. Very, very important. Why would God do something like this? Uh, it's the feeding of the 5,000. Remember that? Where God takes this tiny little lunchbox full of food and he multiplies it to feed 5,000 families. Uh, when he raises people from the dead. These are some crazy things, miraculous things, uh, things that cannot be explained by natural causes. Okay, Explain how Jesus took a few fish and some bread and fed 5,000 people. You cannot explain that by natural causes. How does Jesus raise a dead person back to life? You cannot explain that by natural causes. But remember, what is the reason for the sign gifts? To point people to salvation, the message of salvation. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, miracles, feeding the 5,000, raising people from the dead, meeting a need that cannot be met. This is the simplest way I can probably describe it to you guys. And people have it. The gift of miracles is a real gift. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, come back. Yeah, absolutely. Lazarus died. His soul takes off into heaven. Then he's raised back from the dead. Jesus is, or God must have been like, hey, you're going back. That'd be like, I would be so mad. Honestly, if I was Lazarus, I'd be like, Jesus, dang it. Now I've got to live and die all over again. Like, and I'm not in heaven anymore. Like, but, what up? He was in what we would call uh, Abraham's bosom or paradise. It's like the gates to Disneyland, like a super cool place. You're almost there, but not quite. It's not bad. It's not negative. It's just not quite heaven yet. Um, but same concept. Miracles still happen. Um, I do not have the gift of miracles, so I can't give you like a firsthand account. This is how it works. There are other gifts. I can do that. Maybe some of you guys, God will give you the gift of miracles, but um, it falls into the same thing. It's never a magic show. It's never for entertainment. It's not, it's not like, watch what I can pull out of a hat. Poof, like prime rib. Look at that. Woo, like lobster. It, that's not how, it is not for entertainment. It is not to do anything other than point people to the gospel or the salvation message. All right? That is it. Uh, when you look all throughout the, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you look through the book of Acts, anytime there are miraculous things happening, immediately following, immediately, the miracle happens, and boom, it's to open the door for the gospel message to go out. That is the only reason for it. 
The, the miracle happens, and then boom, someone gets up and says, okay, now that I have your attention, like a sign, right? Come here, or open, or eat this, or whatever it's doing. It's pointing, it's pointing at the gospel message. Like, okay, now that I have your attention, that guy just came back to life. Sweet, now forget that, you're gonna die. Where are you going, okay? Do you get the point? The whole reason is not to entertain people or to make a cool, entertaining show. It is to point people to the message that is to immediately follow it. If you have the, the gift of miracles, you don't get to just walk around like uh, a, a wizard or a witch and just poof, turn black cats into panthers and you know toadstools into loaves of bread or whatever it is. You can't turn your brother into a mouse. Like, it's nothing like that. You don't have the power to do it at will. God will prompt you to do it. Hey, there's a need. Go meet it. I don't know how exactly. That's why it's a spiritual gift. Okay, does that make sense? Does that sound kind of crazy? Like, dude, that's nuts. It is nuts. That's what's so cool. That's why it's a sign. It's very bright and it's very obvious and evident and gets attention. Sometimes the miraculous things happen immediately after the gospel. So they would preach Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And if you do not trust in him, you will not go to heaven. Like, oh, yeah? How do I know? It's like, watch this. Boom! Like, oh, my gosh. It's real. Uh, Sometimes it's at the end of the gospel, like an exclamation point, showing signs and wonders or coming in the power and giving um, evidence or support to the gospel, but it's never, ever, ever found to stand alone. The gift of miracles never stands alone. It is always accompanied by the gospel, all right? Uh, The gift of healings is really the same exact thing. Uh, It's only specified, if I can say specified, it's specific to physical healing. So it's not multiplying food. uh, It's not raising people from the dead. It's none of those crazy things. It is a miraculous healing. It is an instantaneous healing, uh, not all people have it. We just read it. Paul said, right, do all people have miracles? No. Do all people have the gift of healings? No. It is a God-given ability to bring healing to someone who is sick or handicapped. You can have cancer. You can have a tumor hanging off your face. Uh, you could also have a handicap. You're paralyzed or your arms withered up. Uh, a variety of things. You could be deaf or you could be blind. You could be a handicap. And God will give some people the Holy Spirit given gift and empowering to go and heal that person, all right? That's what it looks like. In the book of Acts, Peter's walking up to the temple, and there's a guy there. He's crippled. He's been there since birth. I think we talked about this maybe last week. Peter reaches down and grabs him. Or first, he says, I don't have anything for you, but what I do have, I give to you freely. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. This guy's been handicapped his whole life. His friends drag him there every morning, leave him down, pick him up on the way home after work at night. And he reaches down, grabs him, pulls him up off of the ground, and immediately his legs become full-blown strength. He starts running around, just jumping and dancing and rejoicing in the Lord. Um, That is the gift of healing. It is real. It is still relevant. It is still happening. But it is not everyone's ability. Does that make sense? Now, you are not some magical physician that's just like, be healed, poof, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. It does not work that way. None of the gifts work that way, all right? Including this one. You'll see it on TV sometimes, super abused. Um, You can find all kinds of people who uh, come as a false representation of what Christ is and what he's doing in the church. And so when they come, they just walk around as if they carry this power with them and can just use it at will, like a squirt gun. You're just like, pew, 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 pew. 
doesn't work that way. God will prompt you, that guy sitting at the gate, like Peter did. Let's go over here, boom, heal him. And it'll be an undeniable prompting in your spirit. You cannot deny it. Does that make sense? If you don't have the power to walk around as just this master healer, God will prompt you who to go to and what to do. Does that make sense? Any questions on these two things? Trying to keep it as simple as possible so we don't get too crazy confused. You're good? All right. The next thing. What is the next thing? Okay. These two next two are kind of caught in the middle. It's the gift of uh, apostleship or a gift of being an apostle. Then we'll talk about pastor teacher in a second here. Uh, People say, you can't be an apostle anymore. That's true. When you're talking about the 12 apostles, all right? You're talking about the disciples minus Judas and replaced uh, we're talking about not a position of apostleship that is sealed up. If you're an apostle, you don't get to keep writing more Bible. You don't have the authority that these guys had. But the gift of apostleship is real. It is a delegate or messenger sent forth with orders. This is what it looks like. I've only met one guy that I believe for sure has the gift of apostleship. These are people who they are sent forth super important. They're not pioneers like, I'm going to do something. I don't care what my pastor says. I don't care what my mom and dad say. I'm going to do what I think I'm supposed to do. They'll be sent forth. God will agree with them. There will be a body of believers that agrees with them. A delegate or a messenger. So this is how it works. Let me read you guys a couple things. Um, Romans chapter 15, verse 20 and 21. Basically, if you're writing this down, if you guys want notes, Apostle, I put apostle slash missionary, all right? Long-term missionary, not like a one-week to Haiti kind of a thing. We're talking about a long-term missionary, uh, and this is what it looks like. In Romans 15, it says, And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named. I'm not going to go preach the gospel in Chino Hills. There's already churches in Chino Hills. People are already talking about Jesus in Chino Hills. I'm not going to Chino Hills, lest I should build on another man's foundation. There's already cool stuff happening, all right? But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. It's someone with the heart to go to a people who have never heard the gospel, to a place that is not populated by Christianity, and preach the message of salvation. So they go off, they leave. I mean, we have a, a friend whose brother-in-law is a missionary in Papua New Guinea. Uh, this crazy kind of jungle place goes out there. He has to learn the whole language. It takes him like a year to two years to learn the language and then begins to translate the Bible and tell them about Jesus. And then he does that for two to three, four years. And then he moves to another village and another island and starts over again and then to another place and starts over again and to another place starts over again. It is a unique calling. It is an awesome calling. The gift of apostleship. Uh, also in Acts chapter 14. Let me read this to you guys. Timothy and Barnabas. says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city... And made many disciples, so they move in, preach the gospel to people who haven't heard it. People start following him. It says, then they return to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, these different cities, Diamond Bar, Chino, Chino Hills, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed, here's what they do. They go around, they preach the gospel. They'd raise up disciples. It says, and when they had appointed elders in every church, so they'd raise up leaders now, and they prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. This is how it works. 
The gift of apostleship is not the gift of pastoring for this reason. It is someone who feels called to a nation that does not know the Lord. It is unpopulated by Christianity. They preach the gospel. People get saved. They stay there long enough to disciple the people that get saved. Then they see, okay, this guy's got the gift of leadership. This guy's got the gift of administration. This guy's being called to be the pastor. And so he disciples those leaders. And as soon as he feels like they're ready to lead the church, he puts them in the position, I, this is not my show. You're the pastor. You're ready. It's been four years or it's been five years I've been here. You pastor this church. I'll be back if I can later on to see how you're doing. I'll be praying for you. And they pack up and they go. It's not their church, their work, what they're doing. They are truly there for God's work to raise people up and to move into the next city. Uh, There's a guy I met in Brazil. Same thing. His name was Tim, white boy in Brazil, a big old wrestler. Um, he was learning Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He threw me all over the place at a party. It was crazy. But n- sweetest guy I've ever met in my life. And we're in Brazil, and he was initially in Rio de Janeiro. He was there for six years. As soon as they got a church planted and raised up a pastor, they packed up their stuff and took off way down to the south, almost into uh, Portugal. They started another little church. They preached the gospel. They raised someone up. Now they're in China doing the same thing. It's not my church, my pulpit, my, 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 my. It's they raise people up and move on. And raise people up, it's, the, it's one of the coolest things I've ever seen or experienced, all right? Does that make sense? Apostleship is long-term missionary with the heart to raise people up and move on. Cool? Dude, my prayer, I'll tell you guys, for, for the last six years at least, to me, this sounds like the coolest thing in the world. I'm like, you've got to be kidding. You've got to go into crazy villages, learn languages, probably eat gnarly food and throw spears or experience other things. Maybe it's not jungles. Maybe it's different. And then you get to teach people about Jesus that have never been to church before in their life. And then you get to disciple people. And you get to raise people up. And then you get to take off and do it all over again. Like, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard. And I'm, my wife knows, my heart's like, let's move to Africa and just see if God's telling us to. Typically, you want to see if God's telling you to before you move. And so she's like, no, let's pray. I'm like, okay, how about Brazil? No, let's pray. And so she's awesome. She's definitely keeping my eyes focused. But I'll tell you what, it's become clear. God has not given me the gift of apostleship, and I ain't leaving Chino Hills for a long time. And what's cool is neither, nor do I want to anymore. But my prayer for the last six years is, God, if you're not going to send me, send one of these guys. Raise up the youth in this room to be sent out as apostles with the gift of apostleship. You may not know it, but some of you guys, maybe God's going to put that gift upon you and going to call you to live a very unique life. But with that come expectations and and restrictions and sacrifice. But know this, I've been praying like crazy for the last six years, and I'm not going to stop till the day I die that God will raise up apostles and missionaries and pastors out of, at, amongst you right now. I don't know who it is. I'll probably never know who it is. If you go, though, write me a letter, right? I want to know, and tell me where you are so we can pray. Deal? All right. We're moving on. Pastor teacher. The reason this is lumped together is it is lumped together. You cannot be a pastor without the given ability to teach the Bible. It is impossible. The Bible says so. We're instructed a pastor, teacher. That is one gift uh, that he pastors people, and in pastoring, you must teach or else you're not actually pastoring. Imagine, like, my job is a shepherd, but I never feed the sheep. What is that? That's crazy. Um, 
So a couple different things about a pastor who teaches or pastor teacher. One, uh, for the pastor, and I believe I have this gift so I can talk about it a little bit um, more colorfully or maybe make it a little more clear, is a God-given burden for a group of believers. God will burden your heart for a group of believers. It can be 10 people. It can be 10,000 people. Uh, it is a God-given burden. It's not that you have this great compassion. It's that you see people and God just says, man, they need help or they need more of me. And you see that need and you're burdened for them. With that, it is God-given insight into how they are doing and what they need. It, God will show you the state of your flock is how the Bible puts it. Hey, they need to know more about my attributes right now. They've forgotten who I am. And so you come to them with the Bible and teach them about who Jesus is. Or hey, they need to be challenged to serve more and to step out in faith and to start using their spiritual gifts, which with all my heart, I believe God is calling you guys to do. That is why we're going through the series right now, all right? Uh, that you guys, if you do not step out, you are going to become lukewarm. I'm telling you, I'm warning you right now. Those of you that do not step out in faith in the next couple of weeks and begin to use the gifts that God has given you and begin to ask and pray for more faith and obedience, you will become lukewarm in your faith. It's going to happen. Some of you will do it. Others will step out. It's going to be awesome. It is a God-given insight, though, into how they are doing and what they need spiritually. And then the last thing it is a God-given ability to teach them the word of God, to take the word and apply it to their life and to give insight. And like, I don't understand this. God will show you. Like, this is what it means. Here you go. Right? So those are the three things that kind of wraps up. And now something that always gets people wound up, it is uh, seemingly, there's a difference between the gift of pastor teacher and the position of pastor teacher. All right? I have a position of pastor teacher. The position only guys can hold that position. Ladies, you cannot be in a church as a pastor teacher. It is made super clear. Uh, I'll give you a few references. You guys can take a look at Titus chapter 1, uh, verse 7, 8, and 9. Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. All right, that's not just talking about it. There are requirements when it comes to pastoring that you have to meet. Uh, there's expectations that you should hold your pastors to as you guys grow up. You should expect my livelihood to be a certain way. Then when you move into high school, you should expect Pastor Shadrach. And if you go in the main, you should expect Pastor Jack to live this way. Uh, but the position of pastor-teacher is a God-ordained role for a man to fill. And he says, it's not because men are better. Honestly, women could probably do it better. Uh, maybe that's why God keeps guys there, so that he gets the glory and no one else does. But the... Um, gift of pastor teacher there's no reason why god would not give a woman the gift of pastor teacher to take care of a group of kids that are growing up or a group of women who are growing in the faith you see it throughout the bible there's a couple different examples you can see it around our church there are different examples of that um so the gift you may have that god-given burden and insight and ability to to take care of a group of people but you may not you definitely will not be called to pastor a church ladies sorry that makes sense? Well, how come? God says, the reason is I made Adam first and then Eve. He's the head. He's the leader. That's the way I made it. So that's why. It's not that he's better. It's not that he's more qualified. He came first. He's the leader. And so in the church, the men are going to be the leaders and the pastors are going to be males. Done. Next, it has nothing to do with how good or bad somebody is. All right. Everybody okay with that? 
Okay. Gentlemen, if God calls you to be a pastor, it's because he uses the foolish things of the world. That's why. All right. Uh, John chapter 10, verse 11, 12, and 13 talks about the fact that pastoring requires sacrifice. Uh, You're willing to lay down your life for the people that you pastor. You are willing to sacrifice and to fight for the people that you pastor. Um, It is a super selfless thing. You get nothing really out of it. Good? Yeah? Any questions so far? All right. Here's where it's going to get or begin to get a bit interesting. Uh, The speaking gifts, right? You're speaking uh, this requires a little bit of vocal ability. Now, obviously, apostleship does, but it's beyond that. Obviously, pastor-teacher does, but it's more than that. These ones are specific. They require your voice to make a sound that, uh, for the most part, makes sense to people. And uh, these are speaking gifts. You ready to go? First one is the gift of teaching. People get this messed up all the time. They think because God has given you the gift of teaching, you're supposed to go start a church, or you're supposed to be a pastor. That's not necessarily true. Pastors have to teach, but there are other people who can teach the Bible that are not called to be pastors, all right? It is a God-given ability to instruct with the word, to give doctrine, or basically true Christian teachings, uh, and to explain, means to expound, to explain what the Bible says. That's it. You may not have a calling to teach a specific group of people. You may not have a calling to ever be a pastor, but you're just called to simply help people understand the word of God. There are all kinds of people like that. A lot of your leaders have the gift of teaching. There's tons of people in my life that have the gift of teaching that I've learned stuff from, but they're not a pastor of a church, all right? So if God gives you the ability to be a teacher of his word, take it seriously, do it well, know he will judge you for all of eternity based on every word you ever say, what? Oh, yeah, you, you will be judged at a totally different level when you step into eternity um, than anybody else. But that does not mean, hey, I'm a good teacher. I must be a pastor. Like, no, no, no. Maybe you just have the gift of teaching. Does that make sense? You guys are awfully quiet tonight. You okay? Something happened I'm not aware of? The world's still turning. The sun's probably going to come up in the morning. Tired? I'm hungry. I haven't eaten in a long time. Teaching prophecy. Here comes the fun stuff. The gift of prophecy. It is not fortune telling. You don't need a crystal ball or a pointed hat uh, or a mirror, mirror on the wall. All right. Prophecy, though, okay, is divinely inspired—a divinely inspired declaration of the purposes of God. It can be a rebuke. This is what you have been doing, and God says, knock it off. Uh, It can be an exhortation uh, of promises. Someone who's weary, God is coming. He's going to do something great in your life. Often, it has something to do with a future event. God's going to do this in your life, or this kind of time is coming. Um, Maybe it's time is coming for a nation. It can be a national declaration. It can be an individual declaration oftentimes it has to do with something in the future that is on its way. Uh, And God will give it to someone and say, you better tell him or tell them this is what's going to happen. But you better be very sure it's from the Lord before you do it. Does that make sense? You guys clear? Yes. How can you be sure it's from the Lord? Great question. 
One, it will line up biblically, all right? Uh, if I'm, well, I am married. If someone's like, if someone gets up and is like, David, God's telling me that you're going to marry Susie in a year and a half. Like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Because why? It says I'm supposed to be the husband of one wife. I'm not going to have two wives. That's crazy. That's not from the Lord. The person who says I have this word or I have this prophecy should know that is in direct opposition to biblical teaching. So if you ever have this idea in your mind or in your heart, um, but it directly objects to what the Bible teaches, it is not of God, all right? If you're in a setting, now you can be in prayer, you can be studying your Bible, you can be in an afterglow thing or just being quiet with the Lord, he will burden your heart with something very specific. I, I can't describe it. It's not a burning necessarily in your heart. It is clarity and assurance, and you will know beyond the shadow of it. I'm just telling you, you will know that you have to speak something or else you're going to just explode from the inside out. That's how most of these next few uh, gifts that we talk about come. It's when you're waiting on the Lord, you're seeking the Lord, and all of a sudden he gives you something in your mind or in your heart, and you know, like, this is not for me. In fact, if I say this, I'm going to sound crazy unless it's true. And then you'll probably try and be like, I'm not saying that, no way. And it only burns more and more and more. You're like, oh my gosh, it won't go away. I'm not, this is nuts. I'm not saying that. And it just becomes this like, oh gosh, I'm going to say it just to get it out of my mind. This is crazy. And you say it, and then all of a sudden, uh, you'll discover over time, like, holy cow, that was true. But it will never be in opposition to the Bible, and it will, it will burn within you. It's exactly what the prophecy of the Old Testament said. It said it burned in them, and they had to speak it. Does it make sense? Again, it's not fortune-telling. It oftentimes has to do with a future event uh, or something that's going to happen in times to come. Um, all right. Word of wisdom. We need this a ton. A word of wisdom, same thing. You're seeking the Lord. It doesn't have to be in an afterglow setting. You can be walking home from school just think, thinking with the Lord. You can maybe, hopefully, you're reading your Bible, um, but you're hanging out with God, and all of a sudden, uh, God gives you the answer to someone else's problem or dilemma, right? A great thing. If we're sitting here tonight and someone's like, man, I got to pick a school, and I have no idea what to do, what high school to go to next year, and then someone's like, hey, um, dude, this school's closer, and it costs less money, and it makes more sense, and I'll give you a ride home. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's perfect. It, it'll be a God-given answer, okay, word of wisdom, or God-given advice into a problem or a dilemma. Simple enough? It'll take someone who is confused and clearly point out the direction they're supposed to go. Um... Same thing. It'll hit you upside the head. You'll be like, whoa, what was that? Oh my gosh, I think I know the answer, but I'm not going to say it because that's crazy. And then it'll, it'll sit in your heart. And I start praying, or I used to start praying, still kind of mildly pray, Lord, if this is not of you, take it away. And wait a minute and see if it continues to burn and continues to burn and continues to just to be heavy in your heart. Go to that person and let them know, hey, the Lord is putting on my heart. And if I can encourage you guys in something, especially as you grow in your gifts, don't come up to someone like tomorrow and be like, thus saith the Lord, all right? <laughs> it's okay to come up and be like, um, you know, hey, Tommy, 
I feel like, and I could be wrong, but the Lord has put you on my heart, and I know what you're going through, and I just, I'm going to share this with you. If it's awesome, praise God. If it's not, just let it go. But here it is. I think that the, the Lord might be leading you to, and you fill in the blank. Okay, present them to it in humility. Present them to him in gentleness. As you become more aware of how God works and your gifts, it's like a little kid. When you give them a hammer, you kind of stand back, right? Because they're like, <laughs> make sure they're not near a window or something. But the better they get, all of a sudden they're building cabinets and building houses and all this cool stuff begins to take place. As you grow in your gifts um, and the operation of it, you'll become more assured of it for sure. Word of wisdom, a word of knowledge. Um, same, similar thing as word of wisdom, except it's not an answer. It is insight into something that you previously had no knowledge about. Uh, I've seen this one happen. I know this gift. And you'll be sitting, I've been driving, or I've been sitting in an afterglow setting, uh, a variety of different things. It's when your just mind is empty, and you're just thinking about the Lord, or you're just kind of clear, and all of a sudden, boom, someone's on your heart. Um, so I don't throw anyone under the bus. Let's say it's Betsy, right? Like, Betsy? That's weird. What about Betsy? And like, Betsy and her dad. You're like, what? That's weird. I don't even know Betsy that well. I mean, she comes to junior high. She sits in the back. Now, there's no Betsy in here, I don't think. All of you guys are looking around. Who's Betsy? Um, this is something that's happening about a year and a half ago. Her name wasn't Betsy. I'm just making it up. When we're driving, like, Betsy and her dad, um, there's something wrong, and she needs to honor her father right now. And you're like, this is crazy. And what happens? Guess who comes to church early that night? Betsy. She's like the only one in the room. And you're like, what the heck? This is crazy. And so you go over and like, hey, how are you doing? She's like, oh, I'm good. Oh, man, I must be wrong, right? Hold on. How's school? That's good. How's soccer? Oh, it's great. How are you and your dad? Oh my gosh, this is horrible. And like, how did you know that? And I, oh my gosh, God will give you knowledge about something you have no knowledge about. All right? It's not that you heard gossip and now all of a sudden, ooh, I know the truth. It must be a word of knowledge. No, it's gossip. Um, it may be, I remember one time down at a conference, there was a guy that lived in Havasu Lake. I never met him before in my life. And God gave a word of knowledge for this guy like on the other side of the conference. You get up and say it, and he comes over crying a half an hour later, like, dude, that was me. What the heck? And you're like, oh, crazy. Uh, but God will, boom, it's like an arrow to your heart. Just It hits you, and it burns in you, and the more you want to not say it or not act upon it, it will increase in intensity until you finally just give it up. You can say, God, I'm not doing it. I'm not saying it, and keep your mouth shut. You'll miss out on the blessing of being used, that person will miss out on the blessing or the word that God was trying to say to them. Um, but just, I would encourage you guys, if God does these things, they put people heavy on your heart, give you prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge. The Bible says, he who knows to do what is good and does not do it, it's sin. When we bottle up what the Holy Spirit's trying to do, we are sinning against God. Kind of crazy. The gift of exhortation, all right? The gift of exhortation. A lot of people, and I want to encourage you guys to remember this, is the gift of of exhortation, all right? You guys, try and say it real quick. It is the gift. Okay, one more time. It is the gift of exhortation. Okay, a lot of people will say, I have the gift of encouragement. This is true, but not really, all right? It is the gift of exhortation. The gift of exhortation 
has to do with encouragement. That is part of it. But there is no gift of encouragement. It is the gift of exhortation that sometimes is through encouragement. Does that make sense? Okay, so the definition of the gift of exhortation, it is to admonish or encourage to stir up someone towards godliness. Some people need to be helped up. Others need to be pulled down. Sometimes the gift of exhortation, this does not mean you're just a spiritual cheerleader. You're so awesome. You're so great. I love your walk with the Lord. Yay! And you walk around telling everyone they're great or they're awesome. I love the way you pray, man. Oh, gosh, what you said was a blessing. And you just run around telling everyone how awesome they are. That is not the gift of exhortation. That is a super happy person who is just awesome at encouraging people, I guess. All right? The gift of exhortation has to do with getting people closer to God. It can be an encouragement, meaning someone is down, they're depressed, or they're going through heavy things, uh, or they're becoming wayward from God. Maybe they're beginning to sin, or they're beginning to backslide and go further from the Lord. The gift of exhortation will come along as an encouragement. Be like, hey, God has not left you or forsaken you, or God's not given up on you, or hey, man, there's a calling on your life. You see Paul do it to Timothy, I think. He says, hey, man, Stir up the gift that is in you. Don't forget about it and be about what God has called you to do. He encourages them or exhorts them to, to keep going. All right, so it will be through encouragement sometimes. Other times it'll be through what's called rebuking. All right, not fun. People that have the gift of, they always say, I have the gift of encouragement. I think they don't understand the other side of it because there's it's not fun all the time to have the gift of exhortation. Sometimes it's a, it's awesome. You get to be kind of that spiritual cheerleader. You can do it, man. Let's go. God hasn't forgotten you. He loves you with an everlasting love. Let's go. Let's see what God wants to do. I'll go with you. Cool. The other side of it, though, is someone who's sinning or they're beginning to believe false doctrine. Bible says that in the last days, there will be doctrines of demons and there'll be false teachings and there'll be great deception when it comes to Bible truth. And so someone begins to believe something that's not right. Uh, or they begin to do something that is considered sin or wrong, the gift of exhortation is when God, you see it. Other people may be totally oblivious to it. And you're like, oh man, this is not good. There's something off here. And God says, go tell them. Tell them you're walking away from me or tell them, hey, this thing that you're beginning to believe, it's not true. That part's hard, super hard. But you can't have the gift of exhortation and just choose to be the cheerleader, right? Sometimes you get to be the encourager. Sometimes it's like, hey, you're kind of wrong right here. But what's awesome is it pushes people towards godliness. No matter which one it is, both are done in humility and in love and in gentleness. You don't be like, hey, you're wrong, you stupid. Like, it doesn't work that way, all right? And it's not like, you're sad, well, that's dumb. There's starving kids in Africa worse off than you. Get up. It doesn't work that way. All right? Um, does that make sense? The gift of exhortation, super important. It's one of, when you see this gift used rightly, it is just, it is, it is awesome, especially if the recipient receives it. It's a bummer if your brother, your sister, and the Lord kind of rejects it. It's heartbreaking, but it's not up to you. It's God's message. It's God's child. You do what he says and leave the results up to him. Deal? All right. Uh, what's next? Exhortation into, all right, I'll look at my paper. Oh, the gift of evangelism. 
Um, I do not, I'll tell you flat out right now, I do not have the gift of evangelism. Sometimes people get saved when you share the gospel with them, uh, but the gift of evangelism is one who heralds the good news. You're going to have an, an extra drive or burden or passion to tell people about salvation and Jesus. Now, if God gives you the gift of evangelism and you're just like all the time, you're like, man, I just want to tell people about the Lord. This is crazy, man. People need Jesus. I agree with you. But if you're like, man, this, that's what life is all about. How come no one else is like this? The, the typical thing for a young believer to get caught up in, if you have the gift of evangelism, is because you have a great passion for preaching the gospel and everyone else doesn't, they all stink and need to get with the program and be as excited as you are. That's not true. Now, we should all have a certain amount of compassion and excitement about bringing people to Jesus. Every one of us are called to do the work of an evangelist. But the gift of evangelism, you'll probably be thinking about it a lot more than most people. You'll be more passionate about it than most people. You, and when you share the gospel, people are just like, oh, I get it. It just clicks with them. I don't have the gift of evangelism. I've led people to the Lord. I've seen people get saved. Uh, which everyone probably will do in their lifetime if they're willing to. But um, Acts 20, and this is, it's not about numbers either, all right? I've heard some people say, you have the gift of evangelism, you'll see massive amounts of people come to the Lord. That's not necessarily true. You'll see in Acts chapter 2, uh, it says basically with many words, uh, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his words, they were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to the church or added to them. So you see Peter there and 3,000 people get saved in one day. Now, the gift of evangelism can do that. Uh, you get up at school and preach the gospel and boom, 100 people come to the Lord. It can also be face-to-face though. You have an Acts chapter 8, a guy named Philip runs up alongside this guy driving along his chariot and is like, dude, let me tell you about the Lord. And he starts sharing, and this single guy gets out of his chariot, gets baptized, and he's saved, and he's following Jesus. So it doesn't have to do with numbers. It has to do with the God-given ability to clearly present the gospel. And with that will come probably an extra passion or burden to do it. Make sense? Anybody have the gift of evangelism? Anybody think? Like, I might. I think about lost people all the time. Sweet. Cool. The last two. Everyone take a deep breath. You got so much information tonight. Um, any questions so far? We're good? All right. This last one tends to typically throw people a little bit. It's the gift of tongues, and we'll talk about interpretation of tongues in a minute. The gift of tongues. All right. If you pronounce things the way they're spelled, not tongues, but whatever. The gift of tongues. Um, there are two sides to the gift of tongues. There are two ways that God may apply the gift of tongues. If you'll notice throughout the Bible, it is called a ver- the varieties of tongues. There's more than one tongue uh, or multiple tongues. It's plural, tongues with an S. And so it's not just one language. When it talks about tongues, it's talking about a language, right? You use your tongue to speak. Uh, it is when God moves someone to speak a language they previously did not know, but it is this, in order to bring people to the knowledge of Jesus. It is a God-given ability to speak a language you don't know to bring people to Jesus. Meaning, maybe you're flying, I'll pick a place. You're flying to China, your plane breaks down, and you end up in Germany in the airport. And all of a sudden, 
it's on your heart. I need to share the gospel with this guy, but I don't know how. God's like, do it, do it. And you're like, I'm going to go at least say hi. And you go over, and you're like, all of a sudden, you're like, sprechen die Deutsch, boy. And you're like, whoa, that's crazy. And you start sharing the gospel with this guy in German. Problem is, you don't know German, but it's just flowing out of you. Or you go to China, and you're like, und Deutsch, uh, uh, and like, <laughs> obviously, I don't got it, all right? Um, or well, French, or Portuguese or whatever, all right? If it's a, it's a human language, but you don't know it, and all of a sudden, you're sharing the gospel. Does that happen? Does that sound crazy to you guys? It sounds nuts to me. I have a hard time believing it unless it's in the Bible. And the second thing, my wife, when she was in high school, went down to Chile. Uh, she went on two mission trips. I don't remember which one it was, either Chile or down into like the lower part of Mexico, and she's out there, the translator, the, typically you say something in English, then they say it in Spanish, and then they say it in Spanish back to the translator, and then they talk back to you. Uh, my wife went down there, there's no translator, all of a sudden she just starts sharing the gospel in Spanish. How'd that work? My wife is wider than I will ever be, like she don't speak Spanish for nothing, and yet all of a sudden she's just leading, the guy ends up, I believe, giving his life to the Lord, if I remember correctly, and she's done, the translator's like, you speak Spanish? She's like, nope, that was crazy. That's the gift of tongues right? It's real. It's not to do a little show where you're going to bring your friends along, like, watch this, I'm going to speak German now. It ain't going to happen. It is a God-given appointment to speak to someone about the Lord. There's no one to help you, so he helps you out, and you can speak other languages. It's cool. When you see Paul, his missionary journeys, dude, that guy goes all over the place. How do you speak to so many different people in so many different languages? The gift of tongues. Kind of cool. There's another side to the gift of tongues. You can go to the next. uh, Oh, Acts chapter 2 is when we see the gift of tongues being used called the day of Pentecost. Um, People are speaking languages that they otherwise could not speak. The next slide, talking about the gift of tongues. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This talks about an unknown language, all right? You can call it an angelic language. You can call it a heavenly language. You can call it an unknown language. Um, it is when God moves someone to speak a heavenly or angelic or unknown language that is unknown to man, a heavenly language that is unknown to man. Obviously, I'm not going to sit here and speak it. I don't know it, all right? I do not have the gift of tongues. Um, I've been open, like, Lord, if you want me to do this thing, I'll do it. Never in my life has God, I, I'll tell you right now, I don't have the gift of tongues. Um, so, What's the setting for the gift of tongues? The setting of the gift of tongues will always be within the church. Um, Oftentimes, it'll be like the afterglow setting. It happens not every time, but sometimes. And you are sitting there, and all of a sudden, this, like, weird phrase, or maybe it's even just a word comes into your mind. It's like, blah, 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 blah. You're like, what the heck? It's a weird thought. And you'll probably ignore it, just like other, the prophet person is going to ignore the word of prophecy. The word of wisdom is going to be ignored at first. The word of knowledge is probably going to be ignored at first, but it'll, it'll just keep going. and go. It's like a broken record. You're like, oh my gosh. And you may speak. Finally, you're like, all right. And you're just like, blah, 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 blah. You speak this unknown language. It could be a word. It could be a whole sentence. It doesn't matter. Um, it glorifies God always. It testifies of God always, all right? It testifies and glorifies of God always, but it is an unknown language. Make sense? Here's the deal, though. 
People got all excited about the gift of tongues in the city of Corinth, 1 Corinthians, it's written to, and they're all getting up just like, speaking in tongues all at the same time. You got like 15 people all speaking in tongues. There's crazy stuff going on. He's like, cut it out. Knock it off. When you get together, and he gives a very clear definition or in prescription on how the gift is to be used. He says, per setting, every time you guys have church, when you're waiting on the Lord, sometimes you can have two people speak in tongues and at the most three. What if there's 10 people that have the gift of tongues? Only three people get to say something. What if one person says three things? It's done. Cut it off. That's it. Three times. All right. Um, he also says, though, this, and this is interesting. It's kind of cool. The Bible suggests that we should know to a certain extent the spiritual gifts that each other have. You can know I have the gift of pastor teacher. And I can tell you right now, I have the words of knowledge uh, and discerning of spirits. And that's kind of about all I know. That's it, right? Um, I'll tell you this. Yes, sir. Discerning of spirits. You were here last week? Okay, that's okay. Um, I'll recap discerning of spirits here in a second for you guys, all right? Um, but the gift of tongues, you're never to use the gift of tongues more than three times. And if you're going to speak in tongues, it means you know that there is an interpreter there. Okay, it kind of implies, oh, John is here. He has the gift of interpretation. Now I'm free if God puts it on my heart to speak a tongue because God will allow him to interpret. Because the rule is you're never supposed to speak in a tongue unless it is to be interpreted, okay? There's the gift of tongues, and you can flip to the next slide. The other one is the gift of the interpretation of tongues. It's the understanding of what is said when the gift of tongues is being used. So someone gets up, and they're like, la-di-da-di-da, they say their thing, and then it's quiet for a few minutes, and all of a sudden, if you have the gift of interpretation, all of a sudden, you're like, I know what that means. Maybe it's, you know, God is... His name is exalted above all names, and at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess, and every knee will bow that he is Lord, and, and, or whatever, something. You're like, holy cow, I know it. You're supposed to say it, because what? That encourages and builds up the believer, all right? Um, yes, sir? Yes. No, it's not speaking English. It's talking about this heavenly tongue. This, this heavenly unknown language. Three times and always with interpretation. Always. Right? Yeah. This is the cool thing we were talking about in our office. Um, if I spoke in tongues and one of you stood up and said it in German, does that help anybody in here? No. Nobody. All right? Remember the reason for the gifts is to build up the body of Christ, to, to strengthen everyone around you. So no, they're going to say it in English because it builds up people in English. Here's what's rad. If I have the gift of tongues and I fly to Germany on a missions trip and God gives me a tongue to say, I'm still like la-di-da-di-da. Well, a German guy, because there's a ton of German people, could get up and be like, I know the, the interpretation or something like that, okay? And he says it in German, okay? Um, it's awesome. It's not subject to us. It's the moving of the Holy Spirit. But no, you're not going to get up and be like, Hola, como esta, señor? Like, in speaking Spanish all of a sudden to English people. Why? And it does no good. No good. So if it's an English setting, it'll be in English. If it's in a German setting, it'll be in German. Yes. Yes. 
That's why I said it's kind of interesting. The Bible suggests that we should kind of know the gifts that each other have. Um, so one of two things. One, if you had the gift of interpretation, and I know there's a guy in the high school room, he has a gift of tongues, right? And so if he knew you had the interpretation, if he comes in the room, he's like, oh, hey, she's here. All right, cool. And if God gives him a tongue to speak, he knows, hey, I can say it because at least one person here has interpretation. He lets it fly. The other thing, though, would God give me a tongue to speak if there was no one here to interpret it? Would he break his own rule? No. So if God gives someone a tongue to speak, that implies someone in the room has a gift of interpretation. Now, they may be too afraid to step out and use it, and so the night comes and goes, and it's never said. That doesn't mean the guy was wrong or false in using it. It means that there's someone growing in their faith and willingness to exercise that gift. Yes. Yes, they can. That's the last point. Paul says, hey, I wish you all spoke in tongues, uh, and even more that you prophesied, unless you have the gift of tongues and interpretation. You can have both gifts. It is possible. It's kind of crazy, but you can. Discerning of spirits. It is a... It's a God-given, okay, you guys ever see the movies where people walk through the radars, like, screen at the airport, and all of a sudden, guy's a gun? You're like, whoa! And, you know, hit the alarm, and whoa, whoa, whoa! They're not sitting there like, I'm gonna, yeah, no, you're okay. Uh, they're just waiting. Whoa! In the same way, the gift of discerning of spirits, God will, you'll just be hanging out, and all of a sudden, someone comes by, and you're like, I, okay, I need to keep my eye on that guy. Uh, this happens all the time. We go to beach camp. I'm telling you, <laughs> there's times where it's like, oh, I'm going to be sitting right here watching that guy for the next five hours. Why? God said to. There's just something off with that guy. I'm not saying he's evil, wicked, or demon-possessed, okay? I'm just saying there's something wrong with that guy. He has ill intent, right? Um, it has to do oftentimes with people who want to be in ministry. God may not be calling them to be in ministry, or they may be having selfish motives to be in ministry. So it's the discerning, not of salvation. Okay, it's like you're saved, you're not, you're not, you are, you're not. It's not that. It, it is a God-given alarm that goes off um, to tell, eh, something's off here. And I think at times God will give you insight, like, hey, this person, discerning of spirit, God's raising up. Okay. Uh, yes, sir. Do you have a question? Superman? How can you tell if someone's demon-possessed? Honestly? <laughs> um, simply put, you'll know, all right? Um, sometimes their eyes roll back or turn super dark black. Uh, they lock up. Sometimes they're mute and can't speak. Uh, their voice can change. They become super insanely powerful sometimes. Um, at times, there's things that look like seizures and tormenting, uh, and you can talk. Are you demon possessed? They'll answer you. Yeah. Her. Ladies first. Can they be normal? Oh, yeah, they can be normal, like, all day long, and then all of a sudden, something sets it up the demon off or the thing off and it goes like you got a problem yeah 
uh, yeah, you think demons aren't real, you're absolutely fully deceived. Hold on, is there more demon questions? Uh-huh. Possible? Yep. Welcome to Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, God is giving you all authority and power over demons. I'm telling you right now. There is no demon that the Holy Spirit cannot deal with. How to get a demon out of somebody? Um, basically like this. You basically tell a demon in the name of Jesus, you got to go. Get out. Sometimes there'll be a little bit of a, a wrestle in a sense. It may not be instantaneous. And sometimes if things aren't working right, um, you need to go pray and fast and, and your faith will be built up. And when you come back, you'll have the authority and the power to cast out the demon. Um, it's not holy water and crosses. <sighs> it's not that, all right? It's not that. It's, don't ever think it's that. It is the authority that God has given to us through the empowering of the Holy Spirit you cast out demons. Uh, it's real, and we win. If it doesn't work, you go pray and fast, build up your faith, come back and go after it. Yep. Don't ever, like, go seeking it. I'm encouraging you right now. Like, oh, I'm going to go find a demon-possessed person. No, you don't want to do that. Yes. Um, yes. A Christian cannot be possessed, but your friend, your neighbor, grandma moved in, and she does weird things in the middle of the night. Uh, she, yeah, she, they're not going to not be possessed because they live in your house. Um, Christians can be oppressed, where they, they cannot live inside of you, but they can mess with your life. Yeah. From the inside? Or what do you mean? Well, yeah, I mean, if I'm demon-possessed, then I run after you with a shard of glass, of course I can cut you. Like, no problem. I mean, read, dude, yeah, absolutely. There's a demon that whooped up on uh, the seven sons of forget his son, his name. It's in the book of Acts. Read the book of Acts. I told you like two months ago, read the book of Acts. Awesome. Uh, they can't be faking it, but here's the thing. From what I've experienced, a demon-possessed person cannot confess the name of Jesus. They can't do it. So if you can get someone to pray in the name of Jesus, it seems to be um, that it's probably over, and if not, it'll start happening again. I'm not a, a, a wizard and an extreme like experienced person when it comes to this stuff. I've seen a few things. Uh, we've experienced things in our lives. It's real. Um, so when it's over, you'll typically know it. Yeah. Um, no, it can. 
basically, well, a baby can't be a Christian in the first place. Okay. Oh, that, that's definitely demon-possessed. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. You bring up Jesus and salvation, and some kid comes out talking like a grown man, you've got problems, all right? Um, how did we get on this topic? Halloween, huh? All right, holy cow. Um, yes, absolutely, the baby can get saved, or as it, the child matures, when it comes... Salvation has to do with knowledge and understanding. The thing is that demon will be have to dealt with at the same time as salvation. I want to be saved, but I got a demon in me. Well, let's kick that demon out so you can get saved and, and shut that door and lock it. Yes. Alex, you can come out if you're back there, please. Help. <laughs> demon possessed or not demon possessed, you die without Jesus, you go to hell. If you're an underage child who has no knowledge of what's going on, God's mercy... Uh, Galatians 5, even though they're demon-possessed, their soul does not belong to the devil. Um, no one goes to hell because their soul belongs to the devil. They go to hell because they don't believe in Jesus. Right? Um, God's mercy covers the underage. Right? We'll talk later. Right, you guys have questions? Let's ask. Let's talk. Let's, but, uh, we're going to stand up right now. We're going to worship and... If I can close in one thing, guys, you're part of a bigger picture. You're part of a bigger picture, whether it's words of wisdom or knowledge or it's discerning of spirits or it's pastoring or teaching. Um, You've got the gift of apostleship and God's calling you to be a missionary. You have, I mean, whatever. It can be exhortation and, and prophecy. Whatever it is, you're to use. You don't get a bunch of tools and pick them up five years later and they're all nice and shiny. They better be banged up, beaten, and well applied. I believe with my whole heart for you guys right now, God is calling every one of you guys to step out in faith and begin to impact the people around you for the kingdom of Christ. And the warning to you guys is that if you don't, you will become lukewarm at best. It is going to happen. An athlete that stops playing becomes slow and fat, right? It's true. Unless they keep playing, they slow down and they lose their strength. For the believer, we're to continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're to continue to grow in our faith. And I'm telling you, God is calling you guys specifically in this room tonight to begin to step out and pursue him in serving. I don't know what your gifts are. If you think you know a gift and you want to pray about it, let's pray about it tonight. If I don't know my gift, I just want to be used. I want to figure it out. Sweet. Let's pray about it tonight. You come to the back during worship, all right? Um, But know this. God has gifted you with at least one thing so that you can be part of the body of Christ, not just receiving, but giving. Father, we thank you so much that we're not just spectators, but Lord, we get to get engaged in the war and in the battle and pray that, Lord, there'd be no lazy Christians in here tonight. Lord, that we would not grow old in our lives but stay young in our faith. And God, those of you who are calling tonight even to step out, Lord, fill them up. Give them direction. Give them wisdom and grow them in these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.